you're listening to a Two Jackets podcast. Check out more at twojackets.com. Welcome to Sham Fiction, the podcast where we break the first rule of fan fiction, that you have to be a fan to write it. We're Two Jackets Productions. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. And I'm Marcus. Here's the format. Each installment, Andrew, Eric, or Marcus will be presented with a media franchise that they are unfamiliar with and challenged to write fanfiction about it. We'll start by giving the author some basics, like characters, overarching plots, and those special elements that make each franchise great. The author will then take this info, throw out what they don't like, add a generous helping of creative license, and come back ready to read their masterpiece for all of us to enjoy. It's fanfiction written by non-fans. It's sham fiction. This week's author is Eric. Hey, everybody. I'm writing this week, so what do I got? What are you going to give to me? Oh, Eric, I am so excited for this week, as I am for most weeks. I think I start the show that way every single time. It's because uh, oh it's man. true. Oh, man, I'm so excited. Oh, man, I'm so excited, and I just can't hide it. <laughs> it's like this is a late-night show. We've got a great show for you tonight, my favorite show ever. Exactly. <laughs> I'm just keeping it in that vein. No, Eric, this is going to be a hell of a lot of fun. This week, we are going to be covering Silicon Valley. The nice, I guess nice, I can't even nice. say it's a new comedy. It's been out for a couple of years. It's, it's in, it's in third, season three yeah, right now. Yep, third season right now um, on HBO. Mm-hmm. And this has become one of my favorite shows on the air right now. When it comes back around Game of Thrones time, the uh, Silicon Valley comes at the same time, and I'm like just as yeah. excited for Silicon Valley as Game of Thrones. Oh, like, man. it's so much fun. Um, so, Marcus and I are going to tell you a little bit about that, and you're going to write a little bit of sham fiction on it. Beautiful. It's a show I've been meaning to check out for a long time, but you know, you know, not having HBO. It's, right. It's tricky. Right. If you have the HBO Go or the HBO Now. I know everyone and their mother steals passwords for HBO Go, <laughs> so that's always an option. I think Andy Samberg gave one out at the uh, Emmys or something like that. Oh, gosh, did he really? <laughs> he did. It was hilarious because it was a legitimate account. <laughs> I logged into it. That's um, amazing. Uh, no comment on whether or not I do that. Um, so, Silicon Valley. Um, this is a show created by Mike Judge. Oh, you might know oh, that yeah. name. Yeah. yeah, King of the Hill, right? King of the Hill, Office Space, mm-hmm. Beavis and Butthead. That's great. Uh, he created it along with uh, John Altshuler and Dave Krinsky. Um, the pilot episode was directed by Judge, and he just directed, I think, like 10 episodes since then, um, along with frequent collaborator Alec Berg, who is a producer on the show and as well as a director. And Silicon Valley stars Thomas Middleditch, TJ Miller, Zach Woods, Kumail Nanjiani, Martin Starr, Amanda Crew, Josh Brainer, oh Christopher Evan Welch, and Matt Ross. That's too many names. That's yeah. a lot of names. <laughs> and we're going to be telling you about most of those people. Oh, no. Okay. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, this is its third season right now. It came out in April 2014. Um, you, if At the time of this release, the third season should still be airing. So if you're listening to this on premiere day, the episode's on tonight. So <laughs> check it out. <laughs> um so, why did we choose this? Again, this is one of my favorite shows on air right now. Um, it's such a brilliant satire of tech, the technology business right now. Um, it's I would say that satire is probably, the in terms of the comedic edge to it, like satire is the best way to describe it. Um, Marcus, why did why what what are why you were yeah. into Silicon Valley? So, Let's t- see a little bit more. Exactly, about that. I wanted to to chime in there with a little personal experience. You've seen Office Space, right, Eric? Yeah. And Office Space is so successful for a ton of reasons, but one of the things it does well is skewer that corporate culture. And Silicon Valley just nails the startup culture in the Bay right now. Mm. I've talked to a lot of people in those industries. I'm in business school right now. And it's just hilarious how much this mirrors reality. Very popular show in the business school for that reason. Sure. And the thing with Silicon Valley is the first time I watched it, First time I saw the first couple episodes, didn't much care for it. But I ended up loving it because it's one of those shows that you have to watch with your full attention. Yeah. You can't watch a show and be doing mm-hmm. something else and still find it funny. It's very subtle. It's very meticulously crafted. So when you do get into it, which I recommend after you write this, make sure that you spend the time to check it out properly. Yeah, it is not a jokey show. 
Right. It's it the the comedy is from its the the writing and the situations the again like that attention to that culture and these characters again from performance these characters the performances on this show are dynamite the comedic performances it's just it's fantastic especially the lead Thomas Middleditch he was like a complete I don't know if he was a complete discovery I think he'd done a few things before this show but this was like his calling card he is amazing on this show he and TJ Miller have been best friends since childhood so they used to always do this kind of stuff together and they were on Conan uh, mentioning late night again talking about it just how how much unrealness is involved in them actually having a show now where they can share this stuff, these kind of conversations that they've always had. Nice. I didn't know that. That's so cool. That really comes across. All right. So let's, uh, before we get get ahead of ourselves, first off, spoiler alert for those of you who haven't seen Silicon Valley season one, where that's where we're going to, what we're going to be talking about today. We're not going to get into season two. Um, and also, this is an HBO show, so there are going to be swears in this episode. You probably saw the explicit tag. This is an explicit episode because you can't write Silicon Valley without some swears. Yes. So, Marcus, do you want to get us into a bit of the, the, the conflict here? Yeah, absolutely. So Richard is your main character. Richard. He's this, he's this nerdy, kind of awkward, quiet guy, very anxious he works as a code monkey at this company called Huli. Huli's like a Google, Amazon-style, mega-trendy Silicon Valley corporation. Huli. Huli, yes. And <laughs> Richard, working at Huli, in his spare time, has been developing this compression algorithm. Okay, He thinks it's really cool, but all he's using it for is to quickly search through music in your library. Yep. But to make this music search program, he created a compression algorithm that's better than anything the world has ever seen. Mm-hmm. And when he sends it to a couple of his buddies at Huli, who aren't his buddies at all, they're these jockey jerks. Programmers. <laughs> Programmers, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, who, he says, yeah, well, you check out my app, and they, they push them off, push them off. But then when they look at it, they say, okay, your interface, the, the program that you're designing is the stupidest thing ever. But this core functionality, this algorithm, is everything. This is a billion-dollar idea. So <laughs> Richard runs away with it, does his own startup, and Huli, these guys who have a copy of his code, are trying to reverse-engineer it. Okay. So that's the conflict of season one, is Richard trying to get his product out, forming the startup, before Huli, the mega corporation, can reverse-engineer his stuff and say that they came up with it first. Yeah, so that's that's the crux of the first season. It all kind of built towards this big product launch because uh-huh. the who there it's a race against time to get to market first um, with their both these products, and um, it kind of all comes to a head at this like big convention. It's called TechCrunch Disrupt, but uh, Which is so a real thing. they can they can mention that at some point. It's like this big uh, event where startups come together to pitch their products with the hope of getting a $50,000 investment towards their startup. Okay. Um, so that's kind of their goal. Um, but Huli doesn't need that. They yeah. just want to make the announcement there. Sure. Um, so it's like this dueling announcement. You know, they're go- both going at the same time, and they want to one-up each other. But it's Huli who has all the resources at its disposal. It's a billion-dollar company. Mm-hmm. And then there is Pied Piper, which is the name of Richard's company. Um, <laughs> and he gets no end of <laughs> ridicule for that name. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody likes it <laughs> at all, but he fights for it the entire time. Um, so that's and, your basic premise. Exactly. And let's let's go into who some of these characters are, because there are a lot of them, as you may have guessed, from the cast, cast list. Yeah, lay it on me. So first up, you got Richard Hendricks. Yes, so Richard, he is our lead. That's played by Thomas. He's played by Thomas Middleditch. He is quiet awkward he's very tweaky um and also trusts everybody again he is a he is in over his head he is a coder he is not a businessman nor is he a leader he belongs at a desk sipping mountain dew he's uh, he code monkey <laughs> exactly likes he likes fritos, fritos. and tab and mountain dew yeah mm-hmm. um he is not built to run this company not at all <laughs> <laughs> or to interact in the human world <laughs> yeah um okay. So that that's Richard. That's kind of his thing. Um, he's trying his really hard to be a leader, but he's in way over his head. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's Ehrlich, Ehrlich Bachman, who's played by T.J. Miller. 
Um, really trying to decide how to spell Ehrlich. It's uh, E-R-L-I-C-H. Uh, you just told me. Okay. Yeah. So Ehrlich, um, <laughs> Ehrlich owns the incubator uh, where all these nerds live, where Richard lives. Um, incubator, it's just a house in Silicon Valley. It's just yeah. kind of a crappy house. Have you seen the social network? Uh-huh. You know, the kind of crash pad that yeah, Mark Zuckerberg gets mm-hmm. out there. A hacker hostel. Uh, this is a real thing. It. Hacker yeah. hostels. I yeah. was looking into this when I was looking at jobs in San Francisco. Yeah. Where, because <laughs> the rent is so outrageous, we'll get these houses. And then you're in four bunk beds to a room, something like that, still paying a thousand dollars a month. Yeah. And it's just all very coder friendly, and you're just there to crash between coding breaks. That's what Ehrlich yeah. is trying to run. Sure. So Ehrlich, he had a product. He discovered something called Aviato. Aviato. <laughs> and uh, he sold it for like a couple million dollars. And so he didn't start his own company. He just sold the idea to okay. somebody. And now he's running this hostel. Right so, in on those laurels. <laughs> yeah. And he doesn't let anybody forget it. Um, so Ehrlich is the foil to Richard. Ehrlich is delusionally confident. He is pretentious, arrogant, self-obsessed. He, has, he, he sees himself the guru. He sees himself the sage to these nerds, constantly smoking weed and telling them how to do, you know, do things his way. You know, his one of his first pieces of advice to Richard is, you got to be an asshole, man. You got to be an asshole to everyone, you know, <laughs> <laughs> which kind of ends up working like early. Sometimes his advice makes sense, uh-huh. but most of the time. Like he de- he like <laughs> he just like drops drugs and goes into the desert to yeah. like think of ideas, you know. Like he, okay, because he he just wants to take his ten percent from whatever genius ideas the programmers living oh, in his okay. house make. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So he's very excited about Pied Piper. Yeah. Okay. So then we've got two characters I'm going to introduce at the same time: Dinesh and Gilfoyle. Yes, they belong are, together. They're mm-hmm. they're this uh, these two programmers. Dinesh is uh, Kumail's character. Mm-hmm. And he's hilarious. He's a lot smarter and more reserved. And Guilfoyle is just this brash. Uh, that's Martin Starr? That's Martin Starr. Martin yeah. Starr. Yeah, just this brash uh, <laughs> guy who's a complete asshole to Dinesh the okay. entire time. And uh, yeah, Dinesh is a very dry, sarcastic programmer. Guilfoyle is into system architecture and he's an information security expert and a Satanist. His big, oh. like his big defining feature is that he's a Satanist. Yeah. He, uh, <laughs> he talks okay. about hail Satan and yeah. wish he's died and gone to hell. Yeah. He's, okay. he's very intense and blunt. Um, and they're back and forth. They're quibbling like an old married couple is one of the, the best things on the show. Then you got Jared, Jared, who's played by Zach Woods, uh, who you might know from the office. He played, um, this guy that came in later on Gabe, the, uh, Gabe tall, at the office. No idea. Guy. All right. So, but he's a tall, lanky guy in this too. So I don't believe you. So Jared is the business end of the company. Mm-hmm. He used to work at Hooli. He was very close to the Hooli CEO, who we'll get to in a minute. But he quit because he saw what Richard did, which was say no to Hooli. And, you know, Hooli wanted to buy out Pied Piper. Yeah. And he chose to start his own company. And Jared's like, I want to get in on this. This sounds great. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's the business end because none of the other nerds know anything about business. Um, and then uh, the other thing, Jared is a pushover. He is constantly being insulted by the, the rest of the nerds. <laughs> he, but he never takes it seriously. He always kind of has a sunny disposition. He's kind of oblivious to it, even though they're saying like the worst things to him. Yeah. They treat him with no respect at all. <laughs> Sure. But he's just like, oh, hey, guys, how you doing? Yeah, fuck off, Jared. Okay, yeah. nice to see you. <laughs> he's put his whole life as executive plan on the line to uh-huh. invest in this product. <laughs> uh, so then I think we've got three more characters that we need to mention here. Yep. Uh, there's Gavin Belson, and he's the main antagonist. So he is the CEO and founder of Huli, this Google surrogate. And on the outside, he's this philanthropist genius, but he's really just this petty, childish, ruthless, angry man who is upset because his company's not coming up with these breakthrough products anymore. So he's furious when he finds out that one of the former employees has this algorithm that's way better than anything they've ever invented. And like a classic CEO stereotype, he has this army of people around him who are all yes people. They're only saying what he wants to hear, Mm -hmm. and uh, they're very afraid of him. So Gavin is just a blustering CEO, and he would be the main guy to have your your antagonist. And then on the opposite end of the spec, the billionaire spectrum is Peter Gregory, who is Gavin's rival. 
they have a bit of a past. Peter is a billionaire genius. He is a venture capitalist. He gives Pied Piper the investment that they need to get off the ground. When Hooli is courting Pied Piper, Peter sweeps in and says, okay, they'll give you $10 million for your algorithm. I'll give you $200,000 to start your own company. Boy. But you own control of it. You can grow it. This is a billion dollars mm-hmm. idea. So you can take $10 million now or you can wait and become the CEO of a billion dollars. Yeah, company. he owns like 5% of the company with that $200,000. Okay. Um, and he is there kind of. He's he's supposedly like like they're 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 um what am I trying like like they he gives the advice, you know, he's the guy that he's meant to kind of guide them. Though the key thing about Peter is that he's just an eccentric. You know, he he is probably on the spectrum of autism, definitely, but uh-huh. is never mentioned. He has... He's very soft-spoken. Yeah. He speaks in a very strange rhythm. Like, mm-hmm. he doesn't speak like normal people. Um, he has no understanding of social mores at all. Like, he... <laughs> um, at one point, he, like, becomes obsessed with Burger King and starts doing all this research into Burger King. Have you heard of this? Burger King. <laughs> like, like that's I had my the... assistant get everything on their menu. Have some. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 ridiculous. Yeah, so he's really fun. He's kind of the showstopper of the, the first one for sure. season. Unfortunately the actor who played Peter Gregory. But yeah, he passed away. Um, oh, so he was only in the first season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's such a huge part of season one, uh, that he, <laughs> we have to bring him up. It was just a, a such a great performance, such a great character. Sure. Then lastly, we have his assistant, Monica, who, of course, is Peter's crush. Uh, she is kind of a translator between the programmers and the investors. Wait, oh, the, this is Peter's assistant? Pe- Peter Gregory's... Oh, sorry, she's uh, Richard's crush, not not Peter's okay, crush. Okay, but it's Peter's assistant. Peter's assistant, Monica, Richard, okay. crushing on her. All right. She She's uh, Gregory's assistant, a translator between the programmers and the investors, so she'll... Just get rid of the nerd speak and say, this is why you need to invest in this. Okay. And yeah, and Peter doesn't come to the hostel. Like, he never comes to them. Monica comes to them mm-hmm. on Peter's behalf uh, to, to, to kind of poke them and lead them in the right direction. Okay. Because, again, they're really struggling to figure it all out. And she's very intelligent, very capable. She knows the industry. She knows the power games between the companies. And she'll push these nerds around quite a bit. Sure. So... The tone of this show that I want to hit on is that the characters are all very pessimistic yes. and frank and are, you know, they always think that they, like the world is ending and that they're going to okay. fail. You know, they have no, there's really, there's very little hope that they're going to succeed. Except for Jared. Except for Jared. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But the show is optimistic. The show is definitely on Richard's side. When yeah. he chooses to start his own company, it's behind him. But it's going to make him work for it. Mm-hmm. Nothing comes easy to the Pied Piper crew. <laughs> they have to fight for every step forward that they take. And with every step forward comes seven new challenges. Like, they are every time we get a win, that win is quickly undercut by something else being introduced. The stakes... And the conflict on this show is so high at every moment. They're in constant fear of failing at all times. And they are very aware of it. (laughs) Uh, Dinesh and Guilfoyle are constantly just talking about how, you know, well, this is going to go under. I guess we'll have to get new jobs next week. You know, like, they're they're constantly keeping their options open because they're afraid that Richard and Pied Piper are going to fail at some point. Especially with Hooli as their antagonist. Yeah, and, and there there are a couple things that are just the Silicon Valley uh, in real life, the, the Bay Area tropes that are so fun and so funny in this. Like how you imagine in L.A., they say everyone's a writer, yeah. and you have the server passing you a script. Here, everyone is a million-dollar app designer. <laughs> and they're like, wait, try my concept. Here's the app. So anytime that they find out that this guy's part of Pied Piper, they want to pitch to him, and it's very, very funny. Gotcha. They might not even be million-dollar people. Though. Right. They might just be schmucks oh, yeah. like the Pied Piper. Oh, I'm saying they think the idea is a million dollars. Okay, okay, yeah. Like, there's a grocery store clerk at one time that's just pushing this thing on Richard as he's buying this giant margarita thing. And he's just like, nope, nope, I don't care, I don't care. The whole attitude 
there is come up with a product, develop it to a minimum viable product, and sell it and cash out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's the attitude. Sure. Uh, so there's lots of money being thrown around okay. in, in the valley. Yeah. Um, question here. Yeah. Just uh, going over these characters. Okay, so uh, Ehrlich owns the incubator. Yeah. Uh, and Richard lives there. Yes. Yep. And Dinesh and Guilfoyle live there. Yes. yes. They all live there. And Jerry and moves in as well. all work for Pied Piper. That's, yep. That's Richard's company. Yeah, they, they stop working on their individual projects to work on so Pied Piper. So everybody in this house yeah. is working on this project. Exactly. Okay. Gotcha, mm-hmm. gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. It's just Pied Piper House. <laughs> Pied Piper House. Yeah, the big thing, like, if you need them to talk about certain things, like computer things, um, Gilfoyle is the security guy. He's into information security and, like, infrastructure. And uh, Dinesh is a programmer. He talks a lot about Java. Java is, like, his signature thing. Language. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, so that's their big thing. Sure. But... Yeah, it's just key that um, the money thing. So, yeah, like Marcus said, like it's either find investors and make your own company like what they're doing or sell out and be like Ehrlich and yeah. just kind of ride on that. Sure. But we also see plenty of examples. Like the first episode begins with them at a party of a guy being mm-hmm. held by a guy who did just that. He sold his idea and now he lives in this palatial estate and he has Kid Rock playing in his backyard yeah. to 10 people. 10 nerdy guys just kind of chilling out and not doing anything. Gotcha. So you kind of see this money, what this money can create and why Richard doesn't go that route. Okay. Um, so let, let's have you do your recap here. Then we'll talk about a few potential scenes that you sure, can Sure, 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 sure. All right. Yeah, this, uh, it's not, it's not, not so bad. It's not too many people. Um, we got, uh, we got Richard Hendricks, who is a nerdy, awkward, and quiet guy. He wasn't a Hooli employee, but he was developing a compression algorithm in his spare time. He quit Hooli to develop this thing. It's the best algorithm ever, I guess. Uh, Hooli programmers are trying to reverse engineer it before Richard can release it. Um, Pie Piper is his company. Uh, he's a tweaky guy. He's very trusting. He's a code monkey, and he's definitely not a leader. He moves into this incubator that is owned by Ehrlich. He is, it's, a, it's a hacker hostel. He sold his company, his idea, to, to get this incubator, get the money to start this, I guess. Uh, he's a very arrogant, sort of sage-dealing guy. He smokes a lot of weed because he's T.J. Miller, and he's all talk, it seems like, and he doesn't uh, actually do much. He just kind of talks. Uh, then we have Dinesh and Guilfoyle, who also live in the house. Uh, Dinesh is smart and sarcastic and reserved, I guess. Uh, Guilfoyle is an mm-hmm. asshole to Dinesh, and a Satanist, and intense. And they quibble a lot, like uh, old married couples. Always uh, talking about having to maybe find new jobs, because Pied Piper's gonna fail. Um, Jared is the business guy who quit Hooli to help at Pied Piper. He's a pushover. He gets no respect at all. Does he live in the house? Yes, he moves in. He does, does, but they don't know for a really long time. They don't know. He's like sleeping on a cot in the garage. (laughs) That's great. But again, he doesn't complain about anything. He asks for permission to use the bathroom. You know, like he... Yeah. He's just, he's just kind of there. Yeah. It's fantastic. (laughs) Uh, other characters we have, we have Gavin Belson, who is our antagonist, because he's the CEO and founder of the, the fake Google Hooli thing. Yep. Um, I spelled that with four letters, Hooli. I hope I hope that's how it's spelled. Actually, I don't care. Don't tell me. Who cares? Uh, as long as you read it like, like it's spelled. Yeah, why not? Uh, he's petty and childish. He's an angry man. He's intimidating, blustering. Uh, he's a bad guy. He's just angry because his company isn't, isn't uh, innovating in the way he'd want, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, then we have Peter Gregory who is like the opposite of that. He's the billionaire genius venture capitalist. He gives Pied Piper $200,000 to start up. He's like their mentor, but he's very eccentric. He's soft-spoken. He dies later. <laughs> That's sad. Uh, and then Monica, who's Peter's assistant. Richard has a crush on her because she's apparently the only woman in this show, so that makes sense. Uh, she kind of translates between the coders and the business folks. She knows her shit, and she pushes the nerds around. Uh, characters in the show are kind of pessimistic, but the show is optimistic. Nothing comes easy. Every time they win something, they lose something bigger. Yeah. So that's all I got. It's it's interesting that you said she's the only woman in the show because it's true. Yeah. And it's funny. I just read an article from some of the writers in Silicon Valley, and they're saying the lack of diversity in the show is a sad reflection of how the situation actually is out there. Sure. Which I believe it. Just bummer. Um, but yeah, that's that's how the show is structured. Sure. Yeah, they bring in a. Um 
a lady programmer in season two who <laughs> kind of mixes things up yeah. and that's a lot of fun, but not in season one. Okay. Just just uh just Monica. All right. I think your recap was really good. The one thing I want to make clear with Ehrlich uh-huh. is that he knows deep down that he's full of crap, that he's not really adding anything to the contribution in terms of inventions. He thinks he can navigate the uh, business dealings, mm-hmm. but he knows that he's not going to come up with another great idea. Yeah, there's he he I think that's the whole reason he starts the incubator right. because he wants to feed off of whatever these other guys. He wants to catch that next wave. Makes sense. Um and as big of an asshole as he is, he does when when Gilfoyle Gilfoyle and Dinesh are like you know, preaching like the end of Pied Piper, Ehrlich is the one who's like, no, we are going to figure this out and we are going to get this company off the ground. He is the one that, because again, partially selfish, he wants that 10% of this successful company. Yeah, right. sure. So, um, but he is very, he's usually the most optimistic of any of them. Okay. Um, of the, the programmers, because sure. Jared is just obliviously optimistic. Um, so as far as potential scenes go, things that... Eric could write about. Yeah, so it's like we could always the, lots of stuff happens at the hacker hostel, mm-hmm. um, and them trying to like you know have like a really long like code session, you know, where they're all trying to like they're trying to beat the clock on something, and there's just tensions running high amongst the five of them. Um, that's usually like there's a lot of great drama just in those sections between them, um, with this like constant ticking clock and Huli kind of breathing down their necks. Um, there's also like negotiation sessions, um, you know, like if they ever end up like Gavin arranges a meeting with them to, you know, try and, um, you know, have them sell out to him again. Like he's constantly trying to take the easier path with them. I would say that the biggest thing that comes up frequently is that something happens that is accidentally one of the members of Pied Piper's fault yeah. that could be a catastrophic failure and it's all hands on deck to put out the fire. Okay. So that can be a business thing, like mm. saying something to Monica asking her on a date and ruining that relationship a bit. Sure. Or it could be something said the wrong thing to Peter Gregory that made him think of something else, leaked information to Hooli, something blew up in the code and they need to fix it. And as part of that, you frequently will also have the human problems of members of the hacker hostel, uh, the incubator, wanting to leave, wanting to quit, threatening to quit, Denise and Guilfoyle pushing one or the other out. Mm-hmm. So all are ripe situations for your champ fiction. Sure. No, oh, I think that's really good. Okay. it's a good way to kind of sum it up. Groovy. All right, so bonus points time. Ooh, yes. Ready for it? Gimme, gimme. All right, so my bonus points are going to be uh, a reference to or a pitch for the most ridiculous app or piece of technology. Um, because there are some really terrible ideas being thrown at these guys in these guys' direction, but they also just kind of mention things from time to time, like so and so created this thing, you know? Yeah. Um, like Richard Speck's best friend that we didn't talk too much about, his name is Big Head. He, in the first episode, talks about how he created something called Nip Alert. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Which is meant to locate the nearest woman with erect nipples. What? <laughs> What? That's his idea. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right. Like, so just terrible, terrible ideas for technology and apps. Like, so just a reference to it or somebody actually pitching their idea. I just want to know how yeah. this works now. One <laughs> of the physics. <laughs> <laughs> and my bonus points, another thing that we didn't mention, but I'll mention now I saved it, is the thing they keep talking about, the buzzword more than anything, is the Weissman score. Mm. which is a made-up metric for the compression algorithm. Okay. And you can go to this website and check what your Weissman score is, how, how much you're able to compress a lossless file. Okay. And all this show, Richard just bragging about how good his Weissman score is. Like it's, have you seen my Ferrari? Sure, 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 sure. So, so I want a really, really nerdy brag, preferably involving the Weissman score and you know, possibly towards a woman. Who would mm-hmm. have no idea what a Weissman score is? Not because she's a woman, but because who would know what a Weissman score is? It was made okay. up for the show, by the way. I was sure. just saying, I didn't know what it was, and yeah. then you tell me it's made up. <laughs> and now it is a real thing, but, you know, there that's, we go. that's how the world works. Gotcha. Okay, so Richard bragging about his Weissman score. Yes. Yeah. Okay. In just a really, really awkward way. I love it. Okay. Cool. 
Uh, well, if that's all you got, I'm going to take this and I'm going to run away. I'm going to uh, write some Silicon Valley. Excellent. Awesome. Yay. Yeah, I'll see you in a bit. See ya. Hey, folks, while Eric is off writing, we'd like to make a quick request. If you enjoy the podcast, please support us by subscribing and get a new episode for free every Sunday. While you're at it, you might consider rating us as well. We like positive reviews, so if you have something nice to say, please say it. If you don't like the show, well, pretend you're writing a sham fiction of a positive review and get yourself a little writing exercise out of it. Sounds like fun. All right, thanks for listening, and let's get back to the show. Okay, so Eric is off writing Silicon Valley. It's time to make some predictions. Marcus, what is he writing? What are, what do we expect to hear? So I think Eric, being Eric, and having heard about Nip Alert in our explanation, <laughs> is probably going to bring that app or another equally lascivious app into the program. So that's what I'm expecting from Eric. Oh, I'm gosh. expecting so- him to have some fun with immature boyos in Silicon Valley. That's great. I really like that. I, I especially, I really want it to be something unique. Like we talked about Nip Alert. Maybe he'll mention that, but hopefully like there's Vag something radar. new. <laughs> like what? Vag radar. <laughs> exactly. Oh, how terrible. Something, something terrible. Yes. All right. Um, I really want him to ha- uh, integrate the character P- Peter Gregory into the story. I want Ooh, him yes. to show up. And specifically, I want to hear how Eric... See or uh, hears this guy's voice, how he speaks. Uh, I think we we talked a bit about how antisocial and kind of weird this character is, and that character um, is sadly no longer on the show, as we mentioned in the the the, the pitch segment. And I just kind of want no it to be in real life. Yeah, it's even sadder. Exactly. So I want this bit of you know this call out of this character now that we don't get him anymore to kind of. To remind me how much I love that character, that would be great. And I, you know, I want to I want to revise my my estimate a little bit. Okay. And say I, I'm also fine, or would expect even just some dick jokes. Yes. I know we, we didn't talk about this, but Silicon Valley had the greatest dick joke of all time in its first <laughs> season finale. But I know Eric has a proclivity for dick jokes, so maybe we'll see that here. Oh man, that would be excellent, man. And if any of you who haven't seen this show have a proclivity for dick jokes we marcus isn't joking there is such a great extended dick joke in the season finale of the the first season it's so it's just next level it's crazy i read multiple articles about the quality and artistry of this dick joke that came out <laughs> well if that's All the any indication talking about it yeah this is top grade Dick joke. All right, so I am going to amend my prediction, and Eric has to top that. That is my <laughs> secret bonus point. I can't. Oh, I can't. That's impossible. It's impossible. It's can't impossible. happen. Uh, All right. But we'd appreciate the press him. if he did. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, let's bring let's, it back. Let's let's let's, let's hear this thing. Hey guys, I wrote some Silicon Valley. And I think I'm ready to, 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 to read it for you. I'm a little nervous. There's a lot of there's a lot of shouting. There's a lot of back and forth in this one. And, and I, I don't know how I'm going to do as a, as a single person playing multiple parts. I it's feel like, like you've we never need done a full that on cast. the show before. No, it's <laughs> and it's, done it well. <laughs> well. We'll see how this goes. So uh, if it's all right with you guys, I'm just going to jump right in. Please, please. Do. We're ready. Fan We're ready to go. Fantastic. So get your get your uh, pocket protectors in. I'm know, imagining it's your... Sunday night. I've watched my Game of Thrones. I've watched my Veep. I'm ready to go. Awesome. Scene. Awesome. That's exactly where you want to be because this is going to be Silicon Valley by me, Eric. That's my name. Let's begin. <laughs> Yay. Have you ever debugged code in your life? Richard found himself shouting as he typed frantically on the outdated keyboard before him. He could hear the crowd gathering on the other side of the curtain, and Ehrlich wasn't making his life any easier. 
yeah, but I'm not usually debugging code written by a four-year-old with MS. (laughs) Ehrlich spat back from the console on the other side of the table. It's so garbled. Did Big Head write this thing? Was he using his gigantic head to code instead of his fingers? (laughs) It doesn't matter who wrote the code, Richard moaned. What matters is getting this demo up and running so our potential investors can see the compression algorithm working in real time. And for your information, it was Dinesh. Just find the timestamp error and shut up. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, Who? Ehrlich said casually. What's this name? Dinesh? You mean that guy who's dead to me now? Fuck! He began banging his fists on the keyboard in frustration. Stop punching the computer! That machine needs to run the demo! Fuck! The demo, man! It's two minutes until showtime and we're dead in the water! No, we can fix this, Richard said in a way that said, I wish I had never been born. (laughs) Seriously, this code, though began Ehrlich with an irritatingly ponderous tone. Why is this thing so beefy? It's like two million lines and all it does is compress files. What gives? Richard was not in the mood for criticisms from the like of Ehrlich. He sighed, put his elbows on the table, and buried his face in his hands. He took a long breath. Ehrlich... You don't get the highest Weissman score in history by writing five lines of code, okay? It's a bit more complicated than... Ehrlich cut him off. Oh, here it is. Look at me. I'm Richard. I got the highest Weissman score ever, and now Ehrlich can blow me, even though he's just here to help after the dickhole twins abandon ship. (laughs) Richard had stopped listening. He was back to scanning the code on his display. Ah! He chimed, pointing at his computer screen. Ehrlich! Ehrlich, this is what you're looking for. Uh, var nums equals pps.runtime344. It should be somewhere near there. Oh, okay. Okay, I got it, but, but no go. It's still crashing. Did you compile? Should I? Compile! Fuck! <laughs> Fine! Compiling! Take a fucking Xanax, man! Jared appeared from the other side of the curtain. Richard and Ehrlich groaned. Uh, hey guys, uh, just checking to see if if maybe that that demo was up and running? Fuck you, Jared! Ehrlich shouted. (laughs) It's not ready, Jared, Richard breathed. Oh, said Jared. It's just that I don't know if you know the time. Uh, We know the time, Jared, Richard seethed. Uh, we're supposed to be starting now, and fucking fuck off, Jared! <laughs> Ehrlich screeched. Jared jumped and ran back through the curtain. They could hear him make his apologies to the crowd. Uh, still crashing. Fucking call it, man! Urged Ehrlich. Richard shook his head, frantically typing code as he did so. We can't let him win, Ehrlich. He thinks he can buy us, but he can't. We'll show him. Gavin Belson checked his watch. 7.05. Five minutes late. That's a good sign. He closed his eyes and took a long breath through his nose. He had won. He looked over at the two idiots sitting next to him in their cheap fold-up auditorium seats. They were whispering to one another. They were nervous. More than that, they were shitting themselves. (laughs) Gavin grinned. Uh, What's the matter, boys? He asked them with the smirkiest smirk his face could muster. Your team running late? Uh, uh, No, Mr. Belson, said the brown one immediately. What was his name? What was his name? Ganesha? That sounded right. The white one, who Gavin had heard Ganesha called Gilroy or some shit, was nodding frantically beside his friend. Both of them were idiots. And cheap. Do you know why I hired you two? He asked, mostly due to boredom. Uh, so we can help you backwards engineer Richard Hendricks's computer algorithm? Said the white Gilroy guy. Belson raised his eyebrows. It was a surprisingly blunt answer from such an idiot. <laughs> no, he said shortly. He didn't want to make it seem as if he had been impressed by the idiot's answers. Brown guy? <laughs> the brown guy frowned and swallowed his chewing gum. Uh... 
he mumbled after a moment, to screw Richard before the product launch? Bingo! Brown guy wins! Belson enthused, (laughs) waving his right hand in the air in a mimicry of what could be interpreted as masturbation. The white guy seemed surprised. You hired us back just so you could ruin this presentation? He asked like an idiot. Of course, you idiot! Belson growled. (laughs) When this shit flops, the value of Pied Piper is gonna hit the toilet, and I'll snatch it up and turn it into my pool room. (laughs) The white guy had the gall to speak again. So, you're saying you're not interested in the algorithm that produced the highest Weissman score? Let me make one thing clear, Belson cut in. He wasn't here to make conversation with his own pawns, and this pawn was getting too friendly. He continued, There will always be a new algorithm or a new app or a new, better, faster something. Every goddamn nerd with a big idea always thinks they were put on this earth to give the world that next big thing. You say Richard Hendricks got the highest Weissman score ever? Great. He can shove his Weissman score up his ass. What he doesn't realize is that in two weeks, some other hacker wannabe motherfucker is going to beat his precious score, and then what will Richard Hendricks have? Yesterday's high score and the lingering taste of my cock in his mouth. (laughs) Do I care about his algorithm? Sure, why not? I might even make a little money from it after I buy it from him for a bag of peanuts and a good whiff of my balls. But don't (laughs) delude yourself into thinking that I'm in the business of innovation for innovation's sake. I'm not here to give the world the next great, bigger, faster thing. I'm here to watch Richard Hendricks bleed out in front of a thousand of the most well-connected people in Silicon Valley. The idiots looked surprisingly, er, looked appropriately stunned. Belson smiled, but then the sound of hundreds of phones chiming simultaneously distracted him. The idiots checked their phones. He pulled his own out of his jacket and saw that he, too, had just received a text message from an unknown number. What the fuck? He asked himself <laughs> as hundreds of small screens began appearing from every pocket in the auditorium. What the fuck? said Ehrlich as he stared at his phone. Richard was doing likewise from his prone position on the floor. He had decided that the best way to deal with his current world-ending predicament was to lie down and wait for the end times. He stared unblinking at the message for a long moment. It read, Pan Flute from Pied Piper. Sign up for the beta. Followed by a link. Richard clicked it, which took him to a sign-up page. It's my app. What the fuck? He asked himself quietly. Everyone in the auditorium just got the same message, said a woman's voice from the stage door. Richard sat up in a daze and saw Monica standing there. He suddenly felt very embarrassed that he had given up and taken to lying on the floor. With a jolt, he rose to his feet, swayed slightly as the blood drained from his head, and dropped his phone with a crack on the polished concrete. Monica, he croaked. Hi. Hello, Richard, she said with a flat tone. You better get out there and say something, because I just bought you fuckers two extra days. The words didn't make sense to Richard. They entered his ears, bounced off the mush that used to be his brain, and fell back out again. He expressed this verbally. <laughs> Monica walked over to Richard and put both hands on his shoulders. It felt nice. Richard, please, she said as she shook him like a rag doll. Peter heard the demo wasn't ready, so he sent me to buy you some time. That's what I did, and it wasn't easy to get 800 mobile numbers and, a, and to create a fictional beta test for your bullshit app in, like, five fucking minutes, you understand? He nodded his head, but he couldn't tell if he actually understood, or if he was just nodding because that's what Monica wanted him to do. Ehrlich piped in. Fuck, bro. Everyone out there just got this message? Uh, They'll assume uh, this was part of the plan. An exclusive invite. What? Asked Richard. Ehrlich ran over to where Richard and Monica stood and slapped Richard across the face. (laughs) Ow! (laughs) 
dude, you have to get out on stage and thank everyone for being a part of the beta. Uh, tell them they'll be able to get their hands on Pan Flute when the beta launches. That's way better than a stupid fucking onstage demo. Monica, having backed a few feet away from the men, nodded. And this new beta of yours starts in 48 hours. Now's your chance, Richard. Richard stared, dazed at Monica for a long moment, then threw up on the floor. <laughs> the end. <laughs> Woo! Oh, so man, I can't wait to talk about that with Game of Thrones tomorrow. Man. <laughs> <laughs> you really took me there. Everyone's going to be talking about that this this episode. It's, it's a good pickup after every character I love died on the other show. All right. Well, I, I thought about killing everybody off in this, but it didn't, it didn't seem appropriate. Good job, Dude, buddy. This this was so Thank good. You. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I enjoyed the heck out of that. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, you, so, you really nailed Ehrlich. I mean, that was... Yeah. <laughs> voice aside, I mean not as good as my British voice, but it was uh <laughs> it was a very fun interpretation. Right amount of swearing, right amount of intensity and self love. Oh uh, good. Very, very good. Mm-hmm. I wanna just add on that that I thought your characterization, especially of everyone behind the curtain, Ehrlich, Richard, Monica, like what was go- and Jared. Mm-hmm. Not Jared <laughs> uh, back there, was really like was great uh, in terms of accuracy to the show, but also just in terms of like your own writing and the, the character dynamic. I knew what everybody felt about each other, um, and I thought that was very clear. And yeah, just so much fun to see that, and I was really impressed by that overall. That's awesome. Yeah, that's I, that's good. <laughs> uh, Monica, in that very brief amount of time that she was there, perfect portrayal. That's exactly how she functions within the show as well. Just like a deus ex machina sort of uh, character. Well, and you did this thing that is so Silicon Valley. It's this quintessential Silicon Valley, which is they get this impossible situation, then they're pulled out of it, and you only get to enjoy that for half a second before you realize that the solution is worse than the situation they were already in. So, you know, here you have them doing this demo, which is going to fail, and that's bad because it's in front of a room. But you still have control over that. So they get that postponed by two days, but now they have to give it out in the wild, uncontrolled beta access. So just mm-hmm. always anything that helps them ends up ramping up the badness that they have to counter in the next episode. So that was excellent. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah, and the stakes throughout. You know, the immediacy. Like, one thing I wrote down was right off the bat, I was hooked into this because these guys are freaking out. So I'm in that as well. And the show does that. The show is the the drama. And I think we mentioned this in the pitch session is always very high. These Mm -hmm. guys always Mm -hmm. have insurmountable odds in, you know, the odds are such just stacked against them. And you held on to that here um, with, with the the conflict there and just the drive the the tension in the situation. And that made that middle section with Belson, so fun to have that relief of tension for a little while sure. <laughs> like that was that and that was really fun <laughs> yeah, so what I, did you guys what did you guys think of that i mean that there was this kind of three scene structure where we're behind the curtain we break away we're in the audience with belson and then we're back uh behind the curtain like how did that how did that strike your ears did that work as a storytelling device yeah so you just said that we're in the audience with belson i didn't get that from the way that the scene was written. When we oh. cut away to Belson, I thought we were going to a new location. Um, oh, Because okay. that scene really only talks about, uh, at, the, at the onset at least, eventually you get people pulling out their phones. But yeah. at the beginning, I just thought it was Belson, Dinesh, and Guilfoyle. And maybe this, because they were turncoats, you know, they had betrayed uh, Peter and Ur- 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 Ehrlich. That maybe they were out at Gavin's office. Maybe that's just my prejudice from seeing the show. But I mm-hmm. didn't have a good sense of space when we went to those three. Oh, okay. Interesting. Well, uh, uh, back to my original question. Uh, is that break, regardless of where the break happens, did that take you out of the immediacy of the scene that was happening? Like, it, how did that did make for you me. feel? Yeah, okay. I actually had a note about that. Uh, because it's, it's a very compelling scene in and of itself. And I love Gavin's little monologue about how he's only doing this to crush him and this is Silicon Valley and there's always going to be someone new coming out with a better piece of tech, some hacker, what have you. Mm-hmm. But 
what that scene lost was that immediacy, the tension that Andrew mentioned at the beginning that I was really into. So I wasn't getting the perceived threat. So Gavin obviously knew that they were late, but he wasn't doing anything to raise the stakes. You know, if he were to say something like, if you're 10 minutes late, you know, five minutes late, you can stagger away. 10 minutes late, you're dead in this town. You know, something to keep that tension going. Because this Mm. way we just got the relief, but we didn't get anything increasing the stakes there from what we had from that initial panic, which was very high. Gotcha. Yeah, I don't uh, agree with that, but I will say that your characterization of Belson carried me through that. I mean, it was so much fun. Like Marcus said, that speech in there where he (laughs) talks about, like, there will be another Richard, uh, you know, that Mm -hmm. was spot on, you know, because this show is a satire, you know, it's constantly playing with how we perceive and how Silicon Valley actually is. So that felt so on the nose and so right that that him that that speech, him kind of calling out that um, I, I really enjoyed that. But I know what Marcus is saying. I still I still really liked it. <laughs> oh, it was, it was a fun scene. Uh, but just specifically about the tension, that was that was my thought. Sure. <laughs> I know that's something that we talked about in the pitch session. Uh, where in Hollywood you expect everyone to be a screenwriter and have a screenplay, and this show sets up that in Silicon Valley everyone has their app idea. Yeah, you talked about that. It does such a good job in the show and what you did here of just giving perspective, just showing that no matter what made you special this week, you were just an ant. It reminded me of uh, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. There's the infinite perspective matrix where you extrapolate the vastness of the universe from a piece of uh, cake (laughs) and then it can show how significant you are related to the whole universe and it causes people to go insane for being so small (laughs) Uh, (laughs) very good joke and of course it works out that Zaphod Bieber Brax is the most important person in the universe so (laughs) he walks away with an even bigger ego that's Uh, great you should read the Hitchhiker's Guide everybody but uh, so I don't understand that, that reference, so I'm going to pivot into Eric saying, "Hey, man, how'd you approach this? How'd this go for you?" <laughs> good, good segue, and I know how much Marcus loves when you say "good segue" on this oh, show. Man. I, 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 I do it. I do it like just a for stick you. In the eye. I do it just for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my my approach to this uh, this this was tough. Uh, this took me a lot of a lot of time before I finally put uh, pen to paper, as it were. Um, a lot of kind of staring at a blank page, trying to figure out what I was going to do. And I, I eventually decided on uh, kind of going a direction that wasn't completely based on what you guys told me in the pitch session, but was based on something that I had seen very recently, which was uh, the S- Steve Jobs, the, uh, the, the recent <laughs> oh, uh, yeah, Michael Sorkin. Fassbender, yeah, and Sorkin's writing. And you probably noticed the, I'm going to like, buy Pied Piper and turn it into my pool room. Like, that's, mm-hmm. yes. the, that's the Sorkin line. And the um, whole first scene was like a scene out of the opening of Steve Jobs. Absolutely. They're behind a curtain. They're getting ready for a demo. Mm-hmm. Everything is riding on this moment. Um, though the difference is there's no Steve Jobs character, so there's no genius who's, who's just pushing the whole thing forward. It's just everybody panicking and, and shitting themselves. Um but yeah, I definitely took that as my inspiration for the scene that I was going to do. So I just tried to start writing, pick, uh, make my characters as like one-dimensional and uh, loud as possible, and just have a fast back-and-forth dialogue. And that was where I started, and it oh, led to so this whole cool. thing. Yeah, that's so cool. I, I really like that hearing that because I did not see that. I did not make that connection. I've seen that movie. Um, but I did not make that connection, but it's so cool that your mind went there. And I like that idea a lot because it's like, it's like if the Silicon Valley guy spoofed that scene, like, you know, at like the, at like the Emmys, they maybe spoofed the, 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 you know, Steve jobs with the Silicon Valley guy. Like, that's so fun. I like that a lot. (laughs) So for the people who haven't seen Steve jobs, who are listening, uh, the whole film is structured around three product unveils. So keynote addresses about new Apple products. And all of the action takes place leading up to that moment. Very similar to how Eric structured this. And the hey, first Marcus, one actually is coding Marcus, off screen. Marcus, it's yes. not three Apple products. It's oh, gosh, two it's Apple true. products and the next. That's true. That wasn't an Apple product. Not an Apple product. It was a Steve Jobs product. It's a Steve Jobs. Uh, but yes. Why wasn't Kate Winslet in this sham fiction? 
because she was uh, an excellent part of that movie. She was fantastic. Uh, I feel like I was kind of thinking of her when I wrote Monica, you know, oh. a little bit. You know, you that's could a good, pretend. Mm-hmm. That's a parallel. That's a yeah, good one. It's a good, it's a parallel. Um, but no, like I'm thinking about it now and it's like it, you really reflect that because the first sequence of that movie is them trying to get the the Mac to say hello and it's not working. So <laughs> that's very kind of similar. But again, <laughs> I still didn't, I, if you wouldn't have said anything about that, I would not have seen that parallel i wouldn't one, have gotten one of that. the one of the notes that you guys gave me in the pitch session was that uh, like it always comes down to like the wire with like a project like they're frantically coding mm-hmm. uh, i think was something you guys said i'm like well how can i write a scene about frantic coding especially when i know nothing about coding um <laughs> so i'm like well you know what's a what's the thing i saw recently that did that pretty well steve jobs so that's i i tried to do sorkin sorkin light uh, if I was given some more time, I might be able to actually spoof his style a little better. But um, it's, it's there's in no there walking a, a and talking. I know, <laughs> but we'll save that for the for the West Wing episode. <laughs> yes. Uh, so I, I, you bring up the code, and I wanted to comment on that because I really like that bit where you actually start refer- referencing code. Is Not that sure. real code, or did you just pull that out of your ass? <laughs> uh, no, I just I just pulled it right out of my butt. Oh, it sounded really good. <laughs> So, I like that. I will say I, I don't know much about coding. I'm learning some Visual Basic right now, and I actually spent this morning working on a Visual Basic project. Oh, look at you. Yeah, uh, and I can tell you that it is totally awful to be coding with someone looking over your shoulder because <laughs> it works sort of in the same space as writing prose, right, where you have to picture and hold a lot of different concepts in your mind while you're working through how to put it on the page. And so... If you are a step behind what someone watching you thinks that you should be doing, any feedback from them can be infuriating. <laughs> so doing this, like, leading up to a product launch would be the worst possible experience. Oh, I imagine. Thus the fetal position on the ground. Thus yeah. the throwing up. I would I would be Richard in this scene. Which for is sure. very Richard, yeah. yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah. Thank <laughs> you for putting up throw it? up in there. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so like the first episode especially that's fantastic oh good so uh, i will say uh, as we kind of get into uh our assessments here at the end um mm-hmm. that i i did not get my uh my bonus point from you which the was app, a, right? yeah the most ridiculous app even a reference like i wanted even just a mm. reference to something and it wasn't yeah. in there um and you also didn't get my secret bonus point which was uh, just integrating Peter Gregory into the scene. Um, But, you know, in this situation, I'm glad he did, because he would have taken, well, I guess Belson kind of did what Peter Gregory would have done too, where he just kind of completely takes control of it, because he's such a strong, you know, kind of showboat character. Sure. Um, But I, yeah, I, I, you know, I secretly, you know, I wanted that in in this piece, since uh, we don't get him on the show anymore. Yeah, sorry about that. I really thought about including him. In the end, I decided to go with Monica because she was a bit more of an accessible character. Right. Like, I think you're absolutely right that Belson does take over and uh, Peter would have done the same thing because they are the gods. They are the, the clashing titans. And, yeah. uh, and it's not a story about the titans. It's a story about the everyday folk. Mm-hmm. The small heroes. So I went with Monica because she's just, I guess, more human in my in my minuscule stupid understanding of this show (laughs) it was was a good move and you know unfortunately by necessity they had to move more towards that at the end of the first season Mm, uh yeah but it would be monica referring to something peter had said very frequently she's the go for the go between there you go there you go well sorry i didn't get the app in uh marcus what about your uh bonus points uh so my bonus points was the best brag about the Weissman score, uh, ah. which you, you kind of got, but you didn't have him pick up a woman with the Weissman score brag, which is what <laughs> I really sure. wanted to see. Right. Uh, <laughs> so you, you get half bonus points. Um, as fine. far as secret bonus points, also is a little disappointed. I thought you were really going to latch on, no pun intended, to the Nip Alert app. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh I, I completely uh, forgot about that. <laughs> Yeah, or, or give us, like, a, a boner alert or something. You know, something that would be Eric-friendly. Uh, 
Um, or failing that, give us a really, really good dick joke because this show has the Picasso of dick jokes uh, oh, yeah? in the season finale. Oh, no. Phenomenal. I've read articles about how great it is. I don't think you guys uh, made me understand that there were dick jokes in this show. I think just as a default, I expect you, if you're writing comedy, to put in some dick jokes. <laughs> so that's why it was a secret bonus point. It was okay. just what I what I hoped, what I aspired from Eric Carlson. I, I, I just I wish I would have known. I would have I would have tried uh, to please you in that. In the uh, <laughs> hey, never mind. Uh, certain on. things go without saying. Yep. Uh, so scores. What do you guys think? Got some good feedback yeah. from you. I appreciate it. Yeah. So overall, I agree with Marcus in that you know the the middle section kind of diffused the immediacy, but you know where I lo- what I lost in the immediacy and the uh, momentum, I still had in the strong characterization that you had created. Um, as I said earlier, everyone behind the curtain was so there, and I think I you know kind of fill in the gaps with my knowledge of the characters, but you wrote in such a specific way for each of them that I was easily able to transpose what I knew of the characters onto what you had written, um, which was great. Same with Belson. Um, so that kind of carried me through. And I th- so I thought that was really strong, and I can't fault you much for that middle section because I loved it. I mean, <laughs> you going so far as to have Belson call a brown guy and white guy... <laughs> Oh, that's so terrible, but it's so great because Belson, I can imagine, like, this is what Belson would sound like in his head as he's saying, we're making the world a better place on the outside. Mm -hmm. On the inside, he's like, fuck these people, you know, like, that's him. (laughs) So I I was so impressed by your characterization in this. And I will say overall, the the speed and the, the pressure of the situation, the stakes of the situation. So I am going to give you... Out of out of uh, let's see what is what's what is it gonna be? Uh, <laughs> out of the one thousand or three hundred or however many cell phones that were pinged in that stadium, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, I'm gonna say out of a thousand, I'm gonna give you eight hundred of them. Wow. Okay. You get an eighty percent. I did miss the uh, the bonus points, so I, it's yes, understandable. But, it's understandable. But this was really good. This is this was really good. I well, I was very you. impressed. That's awesome. Thank you very much, Marcus. Yeah. So, I I think that that scene in the middle, uh, Gavin's speech was excellent, but the the works around it didn't really connect. Um, you know, I mentioned that the tension's a bit sparse there. The Change in location is a little bit hard to follow up on. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, as much as you nail all the other characters, I fa- felt that uh, Dinesh and Guilfoyle didn't have much of a characterization to them in that scene. They didn't have much to go off of, but you know, maybe a Satanist reference or some bickering between the two of them sure. uh, would have helped there. <laughs> yep. And also, um, you were really... So this is super nitpicky, but I'm going to say it because it's worth thinking about when you write... Um, you were really good at giving us sort of a deep penetration into Gavin's mind there, how he thinks. But there was one line in particular that I noted because I thought it might be the start of my dick joke um, that does kind of break that perspective. Uh huh. So you mentioned something about uh, Gavin making a gesture and a mimicry of what could be interpreted as masturbation. Yeah. Um, so that's really funny phrasing. But if you're in Gavin's mind... That's a commentary that's coming from a third party source, right? Oh, gotcha. So, so if Gavin it was makes de- his typical jerk off gesture. Yeah. 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 So okay. it did break the, the uh, perspective just a little bit there. Gotcha. Yeah. We, just, we look at it from the outside instead of where right. we were already sitting from within. I gotcha. Right. So something good, to think about. Good note. Good note. Yes. Uh, really enjoyed all of this. And I'm going to have to give you. So in Russian roulette, okay, Eric. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you have a revolver and you put bullets in the chamber and you spin I know it around. How, I know how the game is played, and, Marcus. Uh, I've been to a public school. And if <laughs> <laughs> if you have five bullets in the chamber, you do everything you can to change the odds of you getting a bullet. You take bullets out of that gun. This is a Steve Jobs reference, everybody. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm gonna give you. Uh, I'm gonna give you fair odds. You have one bullet in the chamber out of six. 
That's a and, good odds. And if, if this isn't funny to you listening at all, <laughs> watch the Steve Jobs movie. Still won't be funny, but uh, you'll understand what I'm saying. Oh, good. Uh, I will say that uh, I didn't even really connect what you were talking about, and I've seen the movie. Um, but I also want to credit you for, like, giving the first, like, negative space bone era scoring yeah. structure <laughs> where it's better to have less than more. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, guys, um, you know, I'm kind of disappointed. Nobody gave me a Weissman score for this. Oh, no! Ah. <laughs> well, you know, what would it if, be? If you had gotten my, my bonus points, maybe uh-huh. I, I would have given you a Weissman score. Okay, but I, I failed on the well, bonus. I don't want you now going right. out to the bars and saying, hey, on Sham Fiction, I got a Weissman score of 50, so ladies. Come on, um, man. I need all the help I can get. Look at me. <laughs> so, that's... Sorry, no Weissman score, but you're probably not going to kill yourself with the Russian roulette metaphor, so that's good. Yeah, it's, that's always, that's always it's a lovely. bonus. Mm-hmm. All right, guys, uh, if I wanted to watch this, since I totally do, since I, Sunday night's on HBO, right? Is that the only way to watch this thing? You got the uh, HBO, no, it is. the HBO now, yeah. the HBO occasionally, whatever <laughs> HBO suffix you need. Uh, <laughs> get it on Amazon. I think the first season is streaming on Prime. You can oh, buy really? it. You can get the nice. Blu-ray, the DVD. <laughs> Keep going higher. Get the, the, you know, you get the you get the Betamax, get the laser disc. <laughs> there we go. Fantastic. I'm All right. Awesome. Uh, thanks so much, guys, for listening to my version of Silicon Valley. This was a lot of fun. Uh, and thanks for the notes. Very constructive. I love that. Always good for these writing exercises to get good good feedback like that i appreciate it um but that's all the time we have for this week everybody so thank you for tuning in to sham fiction we'll see you next time bye bye Sham Fiction is produced by Two Jackets Productions, which is Eric Carlson, Marcus Mann, and Andrew Neal. Special thanks to Reed Reimer for providing the music. For a full list of episodes and to read this week's fiction, visit shamfiction.com. Follow us on Twitter at shamfiction, and please, don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. Sham Fiction. Write what you don't know. Hey there, Earthlings! Next week, our very own Andrew Neal will be fighting an enemy that just can't be beaten. Mostly owing to the fact that they're pure energy. And boy, I can tell you that if you like stories about things that can't be beaten because they're pure energy, you're going to enjoy this sci-fi romp. Until then, I'll be working on my dissertation on Matt Damon getting lost in space.